I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Everyone. This is Apologies Accepted, the, the podcast. podcast, and I'm not Theo, and I'm not Juliet, and we're never each other, no matter how long you listen to us, that's always going to be the case, but we'll keep saying it just for fun. Just so you um, know who's not who. What's shaking bacon? So much of nothing. It, uh, I had a whole lovely weekend to myself, which you would say like, oh God, I would perfect. have a weekend alone. Great. And yes, and that is, and that is perfect. Um, but our refrigerator died in the middle of the week uh-huh. and, and actually not even the middle of the week. I think it died like it's been 10 days. We've not had a solid refrigerator. Wow. And so it's a good thing you have that bonus refrigerator, the bonus refrigerator. Yeah. yeah. The, the little tiny refrigerator that's big enough for like two cans of Coca-Cola side by side, <laughs> really close together. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, a, it was better than nothing, but I learned yeah. a couple of things through this experience. One, it is really expensive to replace food. Oh, yeah, I bet. I mean, a bottle of ketchup. We had to throw away ketchup. Um, yeah. Who does that? But but we had to because it sat on the counter for like 10 days because I said, well, ketchup never goes bad. Neither <laughs> does jelly or jam. It's too much sugar, right? I think Hi. it all goes bad. Mold, mold, mold. Yep. Yeah. So, and then Especially in Texas. After I found mold in one thing, I was like, it's all polluted. <sighs> That's how I would feel. Yep. It was, it did matter. It just all went straight into the garbage. It's just, yep. It, I yep. can only say that because James does not listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> he'll never know. He'll never know. <laughs> was he there when the refrigerator died? No, he was in, oh, well, yeah, he was here when the refrigerator died. Um, but no, he was not here when the new refrigerator arrived because okay. he went to Hawaii because life is cruel to me and really kind to him. So, <laughs> Um, whatever I had to work, I couldn't go. Life is life. And uh, I spent all of Saturday like waiting for the fridge to arrive. And then uh-huh. the people were so sweet and didn't Aww. speak a lick of English. It, yo no hablo español uh-huh. muy bien, pero puedo entender mejor que yo hablo, which is <laughs> murder for anybody who speaks Spanish because it's just like, please don't, just point. <laughs> we don't want to know. Um, so that was cool, and I will say then Sunday was just like a big day of going to the grocery store again and buying Getting things. Food. Yeah, I was like, I could wow. get a whole ham. <laughs> and that's Everyone been wants a that. whole ham. Oh, although I will say it was my niece's birthday, so happy birthday, Taylor. Happy birthday, Taylor. So I guess that's a shout out. And um, my sister went, took uh, the her family down to the beach for a night and then yep and had a lovely time until it was time to come home and then Uh, she wasn't happy but you know can't all live at the beach forever no 
Hey, what about well, that you? That sounds like an eventful week. Um, I had um, the rest of my holiday, I guess, from Fourth of July, and then on over the last weekend we went downtown to spend the night in a hotel, which is fun for me, and I don't think you quite get it. <laughs> it's my idea of a good time, and we got a room with a view, a beautiful view of the of the not the skyline, but sort of part of the skyline. So a nice view of the city. Um, hung out, got some wonderful lobster rolls, which are so good. I can't what tell you. What is a lobster roll? It's like a sandwich, a crusty bread with lobster and butter. And that's pretty much it. And it's just like the best thing you'll ever eat in your entire life. Oh, man, I could eat one now. Um, or some chicken. But uh, so that's what we did over the weekend. We took the dog to dog, dog camp, um, which she did very well. And she didn't bite anybody. And, I was going to ask, uh, so how is that actually going? Like, are you cool with letting her alone with the dog people now? Well, this is, we. so we took her in one day a couple weeks ago for a trial, and she did good. And then this is the first time that we let her stay overnight away from us. It's like having a kid, I guess, going to sleepaway camp. It's like, I'm not quite sure she's going to be okay. Worry about her. What do you think the dog's doing now, honey? <laughs> but um, she was fine. She was great. That She had a good time. She played with people. She didn't bite anybody. Everything went well. So I guess the next time we need to go away for the weekend or want to go away for the weekend, we'll, we'll know we can take her to the dog camp. So, That's great. Uh, so that was good. Yeah, I feel accomplished that um, that I managed to do that. And then we were supposed to go to the lavender farm on Sunday, but I freaked out about COVID, even though it's outside, and decided not to go. And so we went and picked up the dog early. And then as soon as we picked up the dog, I was like, I changed my mind. I want to go to the lavender farm. But it was too late because we had picked up the dog and you couldn't take the dog to the lavender farm. So we're going to go next weekend or this coming weekend. So on Saturday, we're going to go. We're going to try to go again. <laughs> Can you take Sophie with you? No, no. Ah, okay. So, so I have to she'll go out back. What we're going to do with Sophie? She'll go back to pet camp, or she'll stay here yeah. for a few hours by herself. Send her to pet camp. Let her have a fun day. Yeah, I could do that. If I if I were being generous, I could do that. So. And then so you're... that's it. That's all my big news. Well, that's pretty big news, though. I mean, given that it's been locked down for. Three years, and God, you've maybe years. gone five places. A more than that. I know. The, the only place I really go is Arizona, where I'd like to go back to soon. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, but yeah, I know I haven't been anywhere, and it's making me crazy. So I have to get out of the house, even if it's only to spend the weekend in a hotel downtown. Which totally makes sense to me. Okay, good. I, I do get that. You're welcome. <laughs> so what are we talking about today, Theo? Um, well, today we are talking about a funeral director and a, a funeral home where people were naughty. They were very naughty. naughty. Yes, they disrespected Absolutely. some dead people, bodies. <laughs> some bodies, some um, dead people. Yeah, and 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 shameful, but at the same time loosely sort of legal in some ways yeah so. right so yeah we'll definitely talk about that um so megan hess uh, who was is was the operator of a funeral home in colorado was accused of stealing body parts and selling them to medical and scientific buyers making hundreds of thousands of dollars she pleaded guilty to mail fraud uh, last tuesday july 5th uh, Megan Hess was in charge of both the Sunset Mesa Funeral Directors, which arranged cremations, funerals, and burials in Montrose, Montrose, Colorado, and also Donor Services, which was a nonprofit quote body broker service. Both 
of them operated from the same building, and Miss Hess and allegedly her mother, Shirley Koch, offered cheap cremations and in many cases, instead of cremating the bodies, turned around and sold them for parts via the body broker business. On hundreds of occasions, the funeral home operators would sell heads, torsos, arms, legs, or entire human bodies, then return what they implied were the cremated remains of relatives to families. But many families actually received ashes from bins mixed with the remains of different cadavers, authorities said, and one client received concrete mix instead of a relative's ashes. Can you imagine... I can, because my mother-in-law and father-in-law are residing happily in a closet in our house, in a box, <laughs> a box says, and but I know how I would feel. probably not concrete mix. We haven't opened those boxes because find out. I have yeah. seen cremains before and not a fan. So I'm like, there's no point in opening that box until we're ready to do something with it. But I yes. can totally imagine how I would feel if I were you know, were to find out that, like, it's kitty litter. <laughs> litter pearls or some sort of really, the the, the pine ones. Yeah. <laughs> Just completely non, non-organic or whatever. But So selling organs like hearts, kidneys, and tendons for transplant is illegal in the United States, but the sale of cadavers and body parts for use in research or education, which is what Hess was doing, is not regulated by federal law. Few state laws provide any regulation, and almost anyone, regardless of expertise, can dissect and sell human body parts. So I could do it. I could do it. I could I could dissect and sell human body parts, make money as much as I wanted, and it would be completely legal. All you need is a signature of somebody who owns the dead body. Yeah, that's the that's where the part comes in that's a little bit iffy because you have to sort of convince somebody to give you their loved one's body to cut up and make use of as you will. Yeah, but, or um, you just get them to sign a document that's like, <laughs> hey, blank document. you can take care of sylvia for me right right you can be a little iffy about it um which i'm sure they were so uh angela MacArthur, who directs the body donation program at the university of minnesota medical school and formerly chaired her state's anatomical donation commission said the current state of affairs is a free-for-all we are seeing similar problems to what we saw with grave robbers centuries ago she said referring to the 19th century practice of obtaining cadavers in ways that violated the dignity of the dead i don't know if i can state this strongly enough she said what they are doing is profiting from the sale of humans Yes, they are. And yep. the same thing, and she's not wrong with that analogy of the 19th century, even earlier, because basically from, oh, I don't know, we would say like maybe the 1500s, bodies were dug up and then given slash sold to professors, anatom- anatomy, that's not even a word, anatomy, <laughs> anatomy? thank you, thank you. Anatomists? Anatomy schools? Interesting that that is still the driver here. Human beings want to know about what makes us tick. And apparently the answer is money. money. Yeah, really. (laughs) So the body broker business... Body broker industry's business model hinges on access to a large supply of free bodies, which often come from the poor, of course. Brokers appeal to low-income families at their most vulnerable. Many have drained their savings paying for a loved one's medical treatment and can't afford a traditional funeral, thus turning to the cheap or free partial cremation offered by body brokers, who then sell off the remainder of the body. In most states, anyone can legally purchase body parts. A Tennessee broker sold a Reuters reporter a cervical spine and two human heads after just a couple emails. 
So you can, if you can say that they only asked it, they, they were like, oh, by the way, what do you want this for? Do you want it for research? And the reporter was like, yeah, I want it for research, which is true in a way. And uh, they got the body parts, which is horrifying. Well, I know, because what if your research is like, I want to find out how to make a human chocolate mousse. Don't even go there. <laughs> That's too late you did. <laughs> So there have been some attempts to uh, regulate the industry. A federal health panel tried to get the U.S. government to regulate it in 2004, but it didn't really catch on. And since then, um, more than what? I just, who doesn't think this is a good idea when they hear it? I know. Right? I know. Like, hi, government. Um, You can buy ahead. All you have to do is uh, exchange a couple of emails with a perfectly legal body part supplier Mm-hmm. And uh, what? Right. I can only think that it takes money to regulate the industry, and there must be um, some some money in the industry itself. Well, there is money in the industry itself that is fighting against the uh, regulation. So um, that has led to more than twenty three hundred body parts um, obtained from at least sixteen hundred people being misused, abused, or desecrated across America, according to research that Reuters did. I'm more at cons- least, and that's that's the that's the ones uh-huh. they know about through court cases and things like that. That doesn't count all the ones that don't go to court, all the ones that just it, happen to successfully because it's legal, right? Yeah, because everyone's yeah. happy. I got my head, hooray! Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. shocking to me. Like I, I I'm not so much concerned with the desecration of of the body, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. I might be if it was somebody that I knew, but right. I think I'm more concerned with just body fluids flying through the mail or like well yeah yeah and 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 just what happens so well it happens that these bodies are used without the consent of either the donor or their next of kin um, the donors are lied to about how the bodies are going to be used the bodies are dismembered by chainsaws instead of medical instruments the body oh. parts are stored are stored in unsanitary conditions so that they decompose or they get discarded in medical waste incinerators instead of being properly cremated just just as an example these are some of the examples of the 2300 body parts that um, were obtained by brokers that we know about in uh, since 20, 2004 so the outrage here is not that this woman was um, benefiting from a system that's clearly set up to allow people to unscrupulous people to benefit, right? But that it continues that there's just a non-issue. Yeah. yeah. Even after this article from uh, in Reuters, there was, they did a series called "The Body Trade," I think it was called. Um, so let me look it up because I wanted to give credit to um, to Reuters. So yeah, it's called "The Body Trade," and then I got information from a New York Times article as well. But even after all that, I, I, you don't hear it coming up before Congress for regulation. No, and I think this would be an easy win. Although we are a country that can't really seem to settle about guns, can't so jack shit down. maybe it yeah. wouldn't be an easy win. Yeah, but. I, I I don't know. It feels like a universal, hey, we shouldn't be doing it this easily. Right, exactly. And Emily Glynn, who is an intern at, an, at one of these organizations that was called Biological Resource Center, actually wrote her senior thesis on her internship. And, and as part of her thesis, she said, over the course of the internship, I stripped subcutaneous fat from the vertebrae of a cervical spine, practiced performing cricothyrotomies, I knew I was going to get through that, which are incisions to the throat, sutured dismembered legs using an oversized needle and twine, and decapitated an elderly woman with what looked and sounded like a chainsaw from Home Depot. 
Emily, I hope you get an F. That sounds... (laughs) Awful. <laughs> Not once did I receive formal training or instruction, she said in her thesis. Well, in fairness to her boss, you don't really need to train somebody on how to use a chainsaw to take off an old lady's head. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, and the way they found this woman or the way they got her legally was that she um, altered lab reports to show that people tested negative for diseases like HIV and hepatitis when they actually tested positive. So she was sending through the mail diseased body parts, which sounds horrible and is horrible. Um, Doesn't just sound horrible. Uh, And that's how they got it for mail fraud. Uh, uh, of all things. Uh, There were eight other criminal charges against her, which were dropped as part of a plea agreement. So not for sending dead bodies through the mail, which is perfectly legal. Uh Uh-huh. But for lying about the diseases and illnesses that the person may have died from or at least had, right? And that's the issue. That's the issue as I understand it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure it is because it was a highly, remains highly unregulated industry. Pretty gross in every way but, and, and sad. You know what's more important than this? Voting what? drop boxes. They need to be stamped out and moved. No, I'm just saying it's oh, stupid oh, oh, that oh, like okay. the Am focus of... <laughs> that is. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Nothing's, I'm with you. I'll say nothing's more important than this, except the sun <laughs> will explode in 5 billion years. I mean... More like 20 years. This is ridiculous. Probably. Man. Yeah, it is ridiculous. Um, So as I was saying, there were eight other criminal charges against her, but they were dropped as part of a plea agreement, which is also ridiculous. And uh, she could still, however, face up to 20 years in prison. U.S. Attorney Jason Dunn said in a statement when Hess and Koch were indicted in 2020 that the defendants are charged with committing a blatant fraud on many, many victims. This betrays a fundamental trust during one of the worst times in a person's life, having to make arrangements for a deceased loved one. It is hard to imagine the pain and worry of those who use Sunset Mesa and not knowing what happened to their loved one's remains. So, yes, that's what I got. What do you got? So I went down so many roads with this because on one hand it was like, oh, death, yay. There's so many things to look at, right, that are related (laughs) to funeral mortuary services and dead bodies and all that. And I've got to say, like, going down these different trails led to really sad places where I was like, nope, not gonna. So I might spend Aww. five minutes and then it would be like, nope, don't want to know about that. No, thank you Aww. very much. Part of my, cause I'm super lazy. I'm like, is there a documentary I can watch? Right. Like yeah. how can yeah. I do my research and drink wine? If I can get those <laughs> two things happening, golden. There's a whole genre of documentaries, which I found very disturbing. So it's, um, the documentaries are geared towards grieving parents, right? Or people okay. who, it really, it felt so, I'm not much sure what the word is. It's wrong, right? Yeah. It felt like you were fetishizing grief is what it oh, is. Boy. Oh, boy. There's a no. whole thing about like, these parents lost their five-year-old to a tragic illness. Watch them suffer and how they cope and grieve. Like, oh, my God. Okay, but like, what's the point of the of the documentary? What's the message? Yeah. There's no message. It's and just it's watching just someone grieve. Grief. That, God. And there were there were several. I'll say probably a good ten on Netflix when I just put in like, what happens when we die? 
right? Or burial right. or memorial service, whatever, right? Any, any sort of a combination of the word funeral and death, eventually you get onto this track of like, it's not life after life and reincarnation. It is all these sad parents have children that died. Ugh. No, thank you. That's really sad. I'm not, I'm not going to watch that. I'm not, I'm not into it. There's no way you can pique my interest with that. Um, you know what we should have read and we would not have had time to read is that book by Mary Roach. What's it called? Um, she wrote about the funeral home industry or the, the, the death industry. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. but Oh, no. You know, you know her? She wrote the... Uh, oh, man, I can't remember. I'm sorry I brought it up. That's fine because it's... <laughs> It's something clearly smart people know. And no, I, Others will understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> right, exactly. Everyone else will understand it. I, I don't. So um, basically, I hit pay dirt on, no puns intended, on... Stiff. I think it was called Stiff, the book. Anyway, well, that's look a good it up title. Later. Yeah. Yeah, the name Mary Roche sounds familiar, but that's sort uh -huh. of my cop-out for like, I don't know what smart thing you're saying, but I'm going to say that the author of the <laughs> sounds study familiar. sounds familiar. I'm sure I've heard of it. Um, yeah. So who gets to handle the dead and why? What what are funeral directors? Where do they come from? What What is this, right? Um, so here's what I have. The, the history of the funeral industry in America. Mm. Mm. So pre-Civil War, people basically died at home from old age, wasting diseases or farm accidents. Death was a very common occurrence, so common that it was built into the architecture of the home. And oh. so we've all seen these um, windows that are like, maybe they're slightly extra big on the second floor of a house, right? Um, or some door that's on the second floor of a house. It just, it's like, why is there a door there? There must've been right. some sort of a staircase that fell down. And I'm talking right. older homes, right? Yeah. Um, so those are known as coffin windows and coffin doors. And if somebody died on the second floor of a home, stairwells at the time were very narrow and steep. So it was difficult oh. to bring a dead body down the stairs. So, and windows were small. So you yeah. had a window that you pushed people out of and somebody oh on the God. other side caught them, right? Wow. I'm sure there was much more care involved than that, but yeah. that was what it was, right? And doors, so the, the door to, and I think this shifted over time. I think initially it was the front door of the house, but um, there'd be a door in the house that was extra tall mm -hmm. and it was called the cooling board. So you would take the door off the hinges and you would lay the dead body on the door oh, and then wow. it would sit in the, in the living room mostly. Yeah. But in the winter when it was really cold outside and you couldn't dig, you put the body in the barn oh, wow. and the cold would preserve it. And then once the spring thaw came, you could dig and have, have your burial service, right? I don't know yeah. that the body rested on the cooling board in the barn all right. winter. Probably not. Right. But they I really want it door. to, to make that point stick. Right. Um, yeah, you probably needed a front door in the wintertime. But um, so so we had these doors that were built in the homes for dead bodies to lay on. And we had windows and doors on second stories that helped move uh, dead bodies out of the home and 
I don't know, into the yard. Uh, the Civil War changed all that, and it changed all that because there was, let's say, an excess of dead bodies, a lot of dead bodies. Like, there are massive amounts of, of people dying from the war. Um, and so the Civil War is really from about 1860 to 1920. There were a couple of things that happened that changed the way that the funeral practice happened in the United States and leads to sort of our modern undertaking service, I guess is the word I'll use. Um, so let's start with Colonel Elmer Ellsworth, who was the first man to die in the Civil War, and he was a personal friend of Abraham Lincoln's. Uh, Lincoln had him embalmed, and embalming wasn't a new practice, but it wasn't widely used. Um, it became more popular during the Civil War because they developed a new technique called arterial embalming. And what this does is, for our audience members who don't know, embalming delays decay. And so when you are in the 1860s and it takes a day to get to the next town and it might be hot and there's not air conditioning and ice isn't easy to come by, bodies decay. Embalming mm -hmm. delays that. So a number of soldiers would be embalmed on the, uh, on the battlefield after a battle and then ship back home. And that train ride might be seven days, right? Something that might happen now within, I don't know, five hours. Um, so when they were, they were tweaking embalming during the Civil War. They used different materials, different formulas to see if like, is there a cheap, fast way to embalm somebody and sort of preserve them for a very long time. Um, they did hit on something that they called super embalming, which was a practice that lasted for about five years post-Civil War, but it was quickly, um, uh, I don't know what word to use, eradicated. Abandoned? Changed, yeah. Um, <laughs> different, cheaper practices uh, came into play. They used a lot of arsenic, in embalming during the Civil mm. War. Um, so much arsenic that Civil War burial grounds are prime places to find arsenic in the soil. Wow. Yes. So, um, and then when uh, Abraham Lincoln's son, Willie, died, he had his son embalmed. And then after um, Lincoln was shot, Mary Todd, his wife, had Willie exhumed and put on the same train as Abraham Lincoln headed from D.C. to Springfield. On mm -hmm. that trip from D.C. to Springfield, the train stopped a lot so that people could see Abraham Lincoln. That's what everybody wanted, right? Lincoln was embalmed five times on that trip. Good Lord. So the Civil War not only changed the way that people um, were, I don't know what word, not, not medically treated, but... It's not even so much that it gave rise to embalming, right? Um, it changed the way that people died. Prior to the Civil War, death was very much a family matter. It happened inside the home. Not to say that there weren't wars before and that people died on the battlefield, just not in the same numbers, right? And so um, instead of dying at home, people are now dying in hospitals, and death begins to move from the realm of women who typically attended to home and family, and it starts to become more a task of the professions, 
of mm. male doctors and eventually funeral directors. Um, the funeral director role begins to develop starting at about 1882. And there are tweaks running through 1920 that come about uh, thanks in large part to the War Department and the War Department's general rule number 39, which stated that no one could embalm a body without a license. That sounds like it makes sense. That makes sense. Totally right. You can sell a body. I guess you have to have a license still, right? Maybe not. (laughs) But you're not allowed to embalm it. Um, The National Funeral Directors Association um, was created in 1882. And that's great. And so death starts to become an industry. Then in 1918, we have the Spanish flu. And now people are dying in hospitals from illness as opposed to war. Um, because of the Spanish flu, there, we have the, the cultural adaptation, the cultural belief in something called germ theory, right? So prior to, there's a lot of skepticism pre-microscope about how people got ill and a lot of ideas about stale air and bad thoughts and body humors and general malaise. Um, but germ theory takes root and people, I hate to say begin to believe in germs, but people begin to accept that like there's, there are germs and you will get sick from germs. So dead bodies suddenly become not a part of life, but they now become a source of potentially deadly germs, right? Cause nobody mm-hmm. knew quite what a germ was or where it came. When I say nobody, I mean the general population, right? Clearly academics had a better handle on this. Um, so this time also saw the rise of dead bodies being given to medical students so that they could study not only the anatomy, but also the disease. So because of the Spanish flu, we start to have this shift in cultural awareness of public health, um, the way the disease transmitted and an interest in not so much how do people die, but how do people die of disease? Let's study this and see if we can figure it out. So in the 1930s, we have something that's called the burial vault. It's a, it's a new invention, and it was created by a guy named Wilbert Haas, H-A-A-S-E. And he owned a cement company, and he was super wealthy. And he went to Egypt in 1930 to see Tutankhamun's tomb. And while he was in Egypt looking at a pharaoh's tomb, it occurred to him that this was something that he could maybe package and sell in the States. Mm-hmm. Not a giant pyramid for people to be buried in, but how about this idea of protecting the body? And so he came up with, we would recognize them today. If you saw one, I think of them as caskets. They're not caskets. They're the thing the casket goes inside and they're kind of domed and I don't know how to describe them. They have handles on the side of them, right? Okay, so. yeah. So cool. Um, So it was Wilbert's idea, stolen from Egypt, to come back to the States and say, hey, let's have like a metal sort of really strong box to put the coffin in. And this Uh way, if the dead come back to life, you'll be protected Uh from zombies. This was a real thing. Oh. Oh, no. Yep. It traps the dead person inside. Should they ever come back to life, you will not have to be afraid of grandma eating your face off. Oh, my God. 
But what about when they put those bells in the coffins? Oh. The, the, the strings with the bells? Right. How but, does that jibe with the big lockbox? So 19th century, and I'm going to say probably largely UK, and that was uh-huh. pre-black box. So this was just oh. the coffin in the dirt, right? I see. But now see. we're putting the... Coffin we're the putting box. the person in a box, and then we're putting that box in a stronger <laughs> box made of metal, right? Um, Makes sense. But aside from the zombies, which I can't believe was really a marketing ploy, but that's that's what uh, that's what the funeral director giving this lecture that I stole all this information from said. <laughs> um, it didn't seem like she was joking. Uh, but the other thing it does is it it echoes back to this cultural fear of germs. And so the germs are now trapped inside this vault, right? It also protects the dead body from grave robbers and from vermin is what they said, right? Um, And the funeral director was really quick to point out that no vermin will dig four feet to get to a body. They just physically can't do that. I believed her, but now that I'm quoting her, I'm like, I'm not sure about that. True. <laughs> that doesn't seem okay. Maybe all of this is wrong now, but <laughs> uh, but she had more, right? So it was really clear that she was pro green burial. Um, there was a lot of information in there about like, oh yeah, you can put a body in a casket and then put that in a vault and then put a bunch of cement around that in the dirt and leave it there and then trust that like, no, nothing's ever going to happen to that body even a thousand years from now. But the land becomes essentially useless because you can't do anything with it, right? Yeah. Because there's a dead body six feet under. Um, So she was, there was a lot of talk about green burials and just like wrapping people up in a sheet and taking a ditch and throwing them in that and then letting them decompose naturally and how beautiful nature is. And <laughs> like, all right, sure, maybe. Or going out to sea and just throwing the body into the ocean because there's no law against that. You can take a dead body if you didn't kill it and toss it into the sea, right? But I'm like, I don't want to live at the bottom of the ocean even if I'm dead. Right. And, and I, I don't either. don't want bugs eating me. Really, right, if I can help. Right. But I also want to be trapped in a big airless vault underground if I become a zombie and I'm trapped in there forever. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. No. I want to be cremated. So yeah. here are the reasons why you should not be cremated. Oh, really? Each year, we fill the 22,500 cemeteries in the U.S. with 16 million tons of concrete, 17,000 tons of copper and bronze, 64,500 tons of steel, 200 million board feet hardwoods, which I'm just going to guess is all the coffin material. Yeah. Like all the wood, right? And then 4.3 million gallons of embalming fluid. Ooh. Right? Um, Cremation is... um, at about 50% right now in the States. In Scotland, yeah. I know it's the way, it's the thing. Very few people are actually buried. Most people okay. are cremated. Um, but in the States, it's about 50% in rising. It's what I want to do. Because um, yeah. let's be over and done with, and I don't want any bugs on me. So whatever right. you need to do. Okay, so cremation uses uh, fossil fuels for about two to three hours, and you need it raised to a temperature of about 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. 
Um, cremation releases mercury and other um, heavy metals into the air and water systems. It produces, one cremation produces 130 new pound, 139 pounds of CO2. And mm. annually in the United States, we create 1.4 billion pounds of emissions from cremation alone. The final product of cremation is a calcium phosphate and sodium, um, which is not particularly great to be sprinkling around the earth because it's essentially salt, right? Uh, and salt kills things and doesn't allow yeah. things to grow. Um, there's also, you'll know this one, I don't, radiopharmacology. Pharmaceutical contamination? Pharmaceutical? Radio pharmaceutical. Yes, not cuticle. Pharmaceutical. Yeah. Uh, pharmaceutical contamination. Um, also an outcome from yeah. formation. And so I have a relative, we'll keep this obscure, who scattered some ashes in a beautiful location. And I was there and and it was a lovely moment. But it turns out that that's not something we really should be doing. So my relative who who sprinkled, I'll say it was a handful of ashes. Sure. Right? Um, apparently some people just dump the whole body, whole right? Yeah. Uh, in national parks and don't bother to like throw dirt over it or whatever. And yeah. so um, because you have a mound of salt, nothing can grow there. Um there's a new product that's been developed. It's an enzyme and it's marketed under the the label, okay. let your love grow. <laughs> right. Which, all right. I, oh, cheesy. I'm there. I'm liking it though. Right. Okay. Cause the idea okay. is it breaks down the salts and, and oh. then it allows the cremains to become. That's nice. I wish I'd known about that. I mean, I mean, I'll say me too. I would have bought some, but at the same time too, it's like a handful of salt isn't gonna you know yeah and the I world guess. but well, so it, what are we supposed to do if we don't get cremated or buried well um according to you know, credit where credit is due ms green lee person. webster who's the director of new hampshire funeral resources i have to say it's new hampshire and you already know it's going to be more liberal than anybody could ever possibly be mm -hmm. um she is the uh, director of New Hampshire Funeral Resources, Education, and Advocacy. And her solution is don't die, number one. Okay. Right? Done. Problem solved. But it would be one of these green burials Options. where you're essentially wrapped in a biodegradable shroud. Oh, I and see. Planted Just let it rot. Three feet underground versus six. Yes. And right. Just decay naturally. There's a. Um, uh -huh architect i almost said archaeologist and it could almost be the same thing since we're dealing with dead <laughs> bodies but there's um there's an architect in japan who has come up with an idea that she is building and implementing this year ready and i don't know the name of it all i could tell you is imagine an office lobby and you yeah. know how they have those raised planters yeah with lots of plants in them right those will be the new burial sites. So bodies will be uh, buried there. No. Allowed to decay naturally. No. Yes. And then the plants will just suck up all the nutrients from the bodies, right? 
And the That's idea is, work. well, hold on, because I haven't told you everything <laughs> okay. All right. about my, I mean, her idea, this woman in Japan, <laughs> whose name I don't know. Um, and her idea is some nice grounds, nice meeting grounds for the living and the dead. The dead could do something for people, living people by, you know, helping plants grow and creating oxygen and creating a Zen-like calming space, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. And, you know, I mean... There'll be some rich hippie out there that'll do it. I'm sure. I'm sure some some place will do it. Yeah. Oh, for totally. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I I saw. I'll say I saw the schematic. I saw her drawing. <laughs> the, it looks just like go, a raised huh? plant. Oh yeah, really. And it's probably not hard because you just need some dirt and a dead body. And I hear yeah. there's a mother and daughter team in Colorado that are like I just know where you get them. some dead bodies. <laughs> exactly. So. So that's really essentially it. Um, I'll oh, say like there's, there are issues. So our story is about people who did not get back the their loved ones. Right. There are people who abandoned their loved ones at funeral homes. Yes. Right. And so um, in Los Angeles, this was a particular problem due to the uh, number of homeless people who it died oh, and nobody was sad. there to claim them. And right. so, um, but a lot of other people, aunt, great aunt can't Tilda died. Anything. Right. Or just they just don't, don't want to. Right. Yeah. Or oh, can't be bothered with her cremains. That's too much trouble for me. Have you heard about the salt? I'm not going to do that to Mother <laughs> Earth. So they leave them. Um, they don't pay the final bill and they don't come and pick up the cremains. So mm -hmm. a lot of funeral homes after a year will um, take the cremains and have a ceremony and bury the abandoned cremains. That's nice. Others don't. Oh, no. Yep. And so they just hold on to them. They're, they're on a shelf. And so there's an organization. This was half of a documentary that I, that I watched. And it was like, mm -hmm. okay, this isn't going where I want it to, but it's an interesting piece of information to know. So there's a group of like uh, Vietnam vets who go around to different funeral homes and look at cremains and try and figure out, like, was this a vet? And then if it is a vet, they pay to have that uh, those cremains buried. And they oh. mark, you know, with the person's name. And so they, they finish what the relatives didn't do or right. a lack of relatives couldn't do. Um, right. And I thought that that was really um, interesting, but kind of only up to awful it was only interesting up to a point. <laughs> and then it wasn't. <laughs> and I'm sorry, guys, but I, ju I just, I couldn't with you. I, you're lovely people and I, I love what you're doing. I, that's amazing. But, you know, it, the, the cremains don't know what's happening. So definitely glad you're making Well, Yes, thank you. Good point. Thank goodness they don't know what's happening. We don't think they do, but did you did you see the news that insects feel pain? Insects feel pain, of course they do. Insects feel pain. I know that's what I thought too, but the, I read this article or I saw this headline yesterday on TikTok or whatever. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> insects feel pain. It's been proven or whatever, and uh, as though no one ever thought insects felt pain, but I guess I guess I guess now we know that they do. Well, so they have if, a nervous system. Pain, maybe cremains feel pain. I don't know. <laughs> so there is a thing like it's really hard to extract DNA. It's slash impossible with today's technology to extract DNA from cremains. Um, beyond like, this is probably a dog slash this was probably a human. Right. 
right? right? But I don't even know if they're getting that that read off of DNA or if they're just taking a fragment of bone and saying, uh, looks okay, like a dog. There's three rings <laughs> of calcium. That's clearly right. a human. Five for a dog. I, I don't know. Um, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, oh, okay, cool. So, um, so we have that aspect of it. And then um, Ms. Lee Webster, I don't think she's a doctor, um, mentioned the new process of liquefaction. So not cremation, but they turn you into water. Oh, wow. Right. Um, that uses too much water to be of any okay. use. So All right. they're quickly moving away from that. Huh. Um, the cremation machines run about $300,000 each. And so Damn. no one's in a hurry to replace them having spent $300,000. And the other thing that she, I'll just, this is going to be random information. So funeral homes do not make a lot of money. You huh. would think they would because it's like, we have to. Everyone needs a funeral home. Right. But they don't make a lot of money. Um, the average funeral runs about $11,000. And she said something like, you know, you're lucky to see anywhere from 1% to 3% on that as wow. profit. Right. So I... Um, so maybe no surprise that some poor funeral director resorted to like selling bodies. Yeah. Um, and that I'd say that goes even further to, to point that these crematoriums that bury the abandoned do that at their own expense. So they're already yeah. operating like on a shoestring profit margin. Yeah. And now they're spending money to honor the, the dead, if you will. Um, wow. Or a clear room on the shelf. I, I don't know. Something I'd never thought about. So liquefaction uses too much water. Um, green burial, which wrap in a shroud and find some earthworms. Um, mm -hmm. Above ground plant food is how I made a note to remember the Japanese architect's idea. Right, right, right. right. Uh, of course, there's burial by sea and then sky burial. Oh, come on. And I was like... Throw them off a out of a plane, and then that's what I thought. Hope the bodies fall <laughs> apart before they hit the ground. I hope they don't land on somebody. Yeah, that's exactly. I was like, "How are you fucking buried in the sky? How are you buried in the sky? Did you read about it? Birds. Oh, really? Birds. So what they do is that's interesting. They leave you laying out, out. Like what's his name? Out the open. Pecked. Repeatedly. Uh, Prometheus. Yes. Thank you. The, the gift of fire. <laughs> See, my degree was not entirely worthless. I'm glad it was good for something. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> um, right. So sky burial, your bird food, basically. Um, but they are suspending this practice because too many birds are dying from pharmaceutical poisoning, medicinal poisoning. Wow. I don't know what words to use, right? Um, yeah, that makes sense, huh? So there are laws also... Poor birds. Poor birds. I, well, actually, is it poor birds if you're coming to eat me? I I hope you... I hope I have a lot of ibuprofen in my I system. I die. <laughs> I'm taking you with me. <laughs> Fucking birds. So, um, but also, uh, sky burial is complicated by the fact that there are laws against the desec desecration of... Of course, Psst. my notes say <clears throat> and this was text to, sorry, this was speech to text, voice to text. So my notes say 
there are also laws against the desperation of coarse <laughs> corpse. <laughs> this would fall under that, right? But so there are laws against uh, the desecration of a corpse. Letting and, a bird yeah, eat you. Yeah, letting a bird eat you might be seen as desecrating a corpse. I don't know how taking a chainsaw to one for Well, I was just thinking that. Medical That's practices. weird. Yeah. And then there's a sort of a newish one, um, promethazine, 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 exactly, where they freeze dry the body and they shake it up so it breaks into small pieces. I thought promethazine was a drug. I don't know what it is, though. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, promethazine, there's no way we could ever find out. The only way we could find out is I would have to go back and find that part of the lecture that the funeral director was given and then shake your body yeah and And then what do they do with it well it's in small pieces and because it's freeze-dried i guess you can Uh. add water to it and then (laughs) it seems like you'd have to let the birds eat the freeze-dried parts or something there'd have to be more than one method Uh, i'll have to look that up i don't know maybe there's Less Saul? I I don't know. She didn't know. seem to to think that this was a great idea. Okay, so she's she, all for the wrapping them up in the shroud, biodegradable shroud, and just letting the worms eat you. Throw yourself in some mud and lay down yeah. and wait. I think I'll do that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Awesome. So that was really interesting. I'd never thought about any of this before. See what this podcast brings to you. So much enrichment to my life. So much knowledge. The next dinner party you're at, you could be like, have you guys heard of promethazine? Have you heard of promethazine? (laughs) (laughs) Over the dinner table. So you might think that the best way to die is to have birds eat your corpse, but really the best way is to be freeze-dried and (laughs) shaken to bits. bits. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So let's talk about the apology that this woman, um, has, Miss Hess, made. Um, I'll call it an apology. She said, I exceeded the scope of the consent, and I'm trying to make an effort to make it right. And that's basically it. So no explanation as to how she's trying to... Or... Uh, she I, didn't even say she was trying to make it right. She said, I'm trying to make an effort to make it right. It's like, I'll try to try. <laughs> Listen, this is a lady who sold grandma's foot for $125. Right. Seriously, like literally. Yeah, that was, 250 for a knee, 125 for a foot, and then um I have to go back into my notes. It was like just... 1200 for part of a leg and then it just goes up from there like I think the spine and the head was the the biggest yeah, I, money item. I mean, you could buy a dead body probably for $6,000. Oh, probably less than that, huh? I mean, what would you do with one once you had it, but well, you could. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what you can't do with it. You can't liquefy it. You can't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it. Can you buy human um, skeletons? Do you know? Is that legal? It is legal if you are a, like an academic institution. So you, you could be a yes. researcher, sort of like with this. You could be a researcher and own a skeleton. My uncle owned a, ske- a human skeleton that he kept in his basement. Where'd you get Sitting it from? Sitting on a chair. He was a doctor, so he probably got it from a medical school or something. But um, 
scared the crap out of me when I was a kid, I'll tell you. Well, I mean, no wonder you were afraid of ghosts and skeletons. Oh, how do you remember that? <laughs> no, I never made the connection. <laughs> but that probably has something to do with it. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, hell, if I saw a skeleton, even now, I'd be like, uh, I took an anatomy course and we had, I'll say a real skeleton, but then we also had uh-huh. a fake plastic skeleton, which apparently costs more than the real one. Um, huh. But I don't know if I remember all the details. Because uh, I hated it in my anatomy class. But uh, most skeletons come from India. And oh, they tend to be female. Yeah, this one was female. Yeah, so... I don't um, know where she came from. Yeah. Yeah. He gave her a name like Margaret or something. I don't remember. Esmeralda, that was her name. Well, I mean, that was that's a pretty... What can you say? Um, he thought it was hilarious. I mean... I'll bet I would, <laughs> if I went to someone's house for dinner, yeah. right, and they were like, oh, I'm a doctor and blah, 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 and then I would be like, oh, my God, that is the coolest person of all time. They have a skeleton in there. But I, if you do start to think about it, it's like. That was a person. Why? Yeah, why do you have that? What do you, why is that funny to you? I don't know. Anyway, people are weird. Well, dark humor in the medical Profession, right, 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 probably. So, probably, th- I could see where that could diffuse. Uh, it's sort of like how teachers. Oh no, I can't. I'm never mind. Going to make some <laughs> awful joke, and it doesn't work at all. So, never mind. Back to the apology. So, as you mentioned, there was no expression of regret, no explanation of what went wrong, no acknowledgement of responsibility, really, no declaration of repentance. She didn't say she was sorry. She didn't make any offer of repair she just sort of vaguely said i'm trying to try to make it right and she certainly didn't ask for forgiveness so i give this apology a big fat minus 50 oh okay cool because i was going to go for a negative one i think we could use this (laughs) as the bait which i doesn't that math make that a positive oh it's a negative 49 no it's a negative 51 no we have to average it so a 50 and a one together it's going to be 50 still i don't know how math works well when it's negative that's where like we're I'm adding my negative one to your negative 50. Well, you're not adding it, though. You're taking the average of 50 and one. So the average of 50 and one is Okay, negative 51 divided by two is probably like 7 billion on the positive side. <laughs> I don't know how math works. But anyway, it's easily it's the worst apology number, I ever. I think we yeah, could use this as our baseline. Yeah. Like, okay. it could never go lower than... Oh, her Megan... Megan. Her name is Megan. Megan has. That's right. I just I just clued into the fact her name's Megan, which tends to be the name of like a horrible girl in the seventh grade who's totally mean to you. <laughs> I guess that's how all our Megans turned out. Yes. So no surprise. Screw so, you, Megan. Yeah, and like how? Ah. How do you justify that to yourself? No, I, I get know. I get the justification, which is like, well, the body's money. dead, so they don't care, right? Yeah. The, I need the money. The yeah. relatives probably don't. Know I'll make this better. up, but I'll, half of them were probably like, "Great, thanks, bye." Mm. Right. Um, you listen to the same podcast that I listened to, Criminal, um, for some of the background of this, mm-hmm. and um, I will say, like, I found the one woman's story very moving the one whose friend died of cancer and um wanted to keep her bladder i must have 
zoned out during that part. Okay. Um, so, so I found that very moving. So there were people who did, I don't want to paint like nobody cared about where the body yeah, is, but I'm going to say yeah. she probably got away with it because a lot of people were just like, man, am I glad I don't have to deal with all those birds now? <laughs> I'm still wondering why somebody would want to keep somebody's bladder. I'm still back there. <laughs> so, uh, so she, uh, two women meet. They yeah. become friends. Uh, yeah. One woman's boyfriend was the other woman's friend, or whatever, right? So they, right, whatever. They have a man. A man brings them together, um, and then um, they're friends for like twenty five years. And then one of the women develops bladder cancer, and okay. her and the other friend comes to be caretaker. And the doctors tell the cancer patient. Uh, mm -hmm. we can remove your bladder if you want, and you can undergo chemotherapy and, um, I say radiology, that's not it, but radiation treatment. Yeah. And, uh, and the woman said, no, I don't want to do that if it's not going to solve anything. And they sure, were like, sure. no, it's not going to solve anything. And she was like, yeah. so we're just delaying the inevitable. So I will just die. Right. So, um, so she died with her cancerous bladder having never been treated Right. So no, I'm stumbling over the words here. So no medical intervention, which means you have a, a, a bladder, which is a fully progressed bladder. cancer. Hi, what? Okay. A virgin bladder. A but virgin no, I bladder. <laughs> I thought you used a medical term that wasn't virgin. No. And I was like, a, 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 a bladder riddled with cancer. An averted bladder. What's that? <laughs> no, no, no. So anyway, so the woman dies and her friend um, just happens to find Sunset Mortuary, Sunset, happens to find oh, Megan, right? Sunset Mesa. And yeah. so uh, she goes and she's like, hey, I, my friend died and I'm the executor of her estate. She, her family didn't love her. She didn't love her family. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, let's, let's get this thing rolling. And Megan said, well, I see that your friend died of bladder cancer and that she never received any medical treatment for it. And this bladder would be a very useful organ for doctors to use to research cancer because it's never been treated. So you can see the natural progression of cancer. So why don't you let me have it and sell it and give it to, well, I don't know if she said sell, but, you know, let's give it to, to medicine. Yeah, give it to research. And you can have your cremation for free. And oh. the lady said, which was one of Margaret, sorry, Megan, Megan, Megan. Thank That's you. I really want it. her name to be Margaret. Um, <laughs> not for you, cousin Margaret, but, um, so Megan would get people to say, oh, great funeral, free funeral. Cool. Yeah. Done. Or at least you don't have to pay for the cremation. Maybe you pay for renting the space and having a memorial mm -hmm. service, whatever. Cool. So, um, so her friend was like, I don't know, because my friend who died didn't want her bladder taken out. And so for me to turn around and say, yeah, sure, go ahead and take her bladder out, then it's kind of like she died for nothing other than of cancer. Right. And so I don't know how I feel about that, but whatever she thought about it for a couple of days, and then she was like, um, you know what? Okay, because I can see the good that medical science would get from this. And mm -hmm. so, sure, let's go ahead and, and do this thing. And so she knew that some body parts, I don't know if she knew how many or what the out. situation was, right. were going to be sold. And then she waited. She was told it would be a week. She'd get the cremains back. And then um, she called like a week. No, no, we're not ready. She called a week later. No, not ready. 
So it took two months. And after two mm. months of not returning phone calls, not replying to emails, she showed up and she said, I'm here to talk to Megan. Where is she? Wow. What's up, Megan? Hi. And so Megan um, finally came with a box and was like, here you go. I'm real sorry. It's been so busy, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What excuse are you going to use? Yeah, right, right. It's, it can only be busy. COVID hadn't Jeez. been invented, so you couldn't say, oh, due to COVID, we're so backed up. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and so then when the woman finds out from the FBI that she might not even have her, she, one, for sure, she doesn't have her friend's cremains because the entire body was sold, right? And wow. the FBI told her um, or asked her, have you ever heard of plastination, which is the practice of taking a body and pumping liquid plastic through it and turning it into a piece of art, but also instructional because now you can see a body, right? right? All that right. stuff. There's that exhibit that travels, and I forget what it's called, the body something like that tour the body i don't know what it's called yeah. um it's not anything i would ever want to go see yeah so america's hero refusing to look at dead bodies that have been pumped full of plastic <laughs> i just keep winning this hero game <laughs> so yeah so that was her story and the thing that haunted her was well i mean two mm. things right and and this is how you never recover from this this is why megan can't say what she's going to do because yeah. this poor woman who's been carting around a box of Maybe dog ashes, maybe kitty yeah. litter, who knows what the F it is, right? It's like, I can now never think of my friend without thinking of Sunset Memorial. And oh, so they're forever intertwined oh. and I just don't have a clean death, if you will, right? Yeah. Um, and so, so, yeah, like you can't fix that for somebody. Um, yeah. There are things you could do that wouldn't involve giving money to to the friend because this is not right. about money's not going to. It's not about money for that. Yeah. yeah. No. And it, and how much money would that be? Right. Here's twenty five thousand dollars. I'm really sorry that I. Right. You know. Here's the money I made selling your friend. Said right. Uh, here's a cut. Right. So. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, no apology would be sufficient, and the apology that was attempted was extremely poor. So we give it a negative <laughs> whatever. Um, and we move on now to apology expected or who's oh. sorry now. Um, and I have an apology expected. You go first. Yay. Okay. So, um, this is unrelated Just sort of a, not really a lighter note, but at least no one died. Um, on July 2nd, American airlines left a 12 year old unaccompanied minor alone to wander through the Miami airport for half an hour. She was supposed to have been escorted by a flight attendant to her father and the information on her wristband matched up with the information, uh, belonging to her father. But instead, the airline didn't even notice that she was missing until an hour after the plane had landed. Uh, fortunately, she had already found her father on her own. I think she called her mom and her mom was like, oh my God, you know, her mother was furious. I, I read the interview with her mother. Uh, understandably, her mother was furious. They didn't talk to her father. I don't know why not. But um, the mother said that the airline tried to offer them free flights and a limo service, but she turned them down. We want American Airlines to tighten up their policies and put more training in place so this doesn't happen again, she said. So I expect an apology from American Airlines for abandoning a child in the airport in Miami alone. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty, pretty bold, American Airlines. Very lucky that uh, everything she worked out. She didn't get out. trafficked. Yeah, yeah. hi. Or 
I don't. I mean, what else could happen to a kid? Kidnapped, stolen, murdered. I mean, anything could happen, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, so, bruh. I'm not surprised American Airlines uh, lost a living person. <laughs> My sister sent her dog Mookie to me one <gasps> summer. Yeah. When she yeah. started, uh, she went to boot camp and she was like, oh, I'll be gone and I have my dog and blah. But I'll, if you will watch my dog, I will fly the dog out to you and you fly it back and I'll pay for it all and pay for the food. And I was like, great, no problem. And so um, watch the dog. Never should have been responsible for a dog. Never, mm-hmm. ever, 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 ever. But um, fine. Completely irresponsible 21-year-old, maybe mm-hmm. 21. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Sent Mookie back to my sister mm-hmm. on American Airlines. And my sister called me and said, they've lost the dog. Oh, God. And it took, my memory says two days. I don't know oh, that it was God. two days. But nobody knew where the dog was. And it was like, oh, my God. You know, the dog's just in a crate. Like It's horrifying their food and water around no water but then, no food. if i remember correctly she did get a letter from american airlines that said like oh your dog was found by a guy that works in whatever and let out oh, and he took good care of given your food dog. yeah and water and, and walked and loved your dog was sent to a farm just gonna north. go there Mookie <laughs> was flown to a farm in virginia where <laughs> oh that's sad poor Mookie. But anyway, she made it back home to Pam and yippee. Good. Yes. And All right. Do you have an apology expected or a who's sorry now? I'm going to have a who's sorry now. It'll be work related and it's like stealing, right? Oh, and you've so, been stealing again. Yes. So this, <laughs> this apology goes out to McDonald's. When I worked at McDonald's, I would eat as much food as I possibly could, which is not allowed. That's yeah, I know. Not that sucks. A thing. I don't let you eat. Yeah. yeah. But... But I found ways to get around that that rule, and um, one of them was I would go into the freezer, which is where they kept the milkshake mix. <laughs> I would open the bag, <laughs> and I would drink the milkshake. Not straight from the bag. I would pour it into a cup. Was it, it frozen, or was it like just No, liquid? it was just cold milkshake mix. You must have been hungry. No, I was. Just, <laughs> I just I'm wanted bored. Milkshake. <laughs> there are very few perks at working at McDonald's. I but guess all the Coca-Cola I could drink, all the milkshake I wanted, and as many chicken nuggets as I could fit in my mouth at one time. Wow, they had chicken nuggets back then. Um, hi. <laughs> yes. I mean, I thought chicken nuggets came out in the '90s or something. Well, when did it? Let's see. I you have were chicken at McDonald's in like the eighties. I was. I have chicken nuggets in my head. Yeah, they had chicken nuggets because I remember all the barbecue sauce nonsense. Um, when did McDonald's <laughs> invent? Sure, <laughs> invent chicken nuggets. That's number one. Nineteen seventy-nine. In your face. Oh, you're right. I mean, you're right. Oh, Google's you're, you're right. right. Google's right. Uh, can you imagine a world before chicken nuggets? Uh, yeah, because that was 1979 when it was invented. And yeah, we were we were alive. Then, it was alive sure. then. <laughs> I think all I ever ate was French fries. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. That is it. 
We uh, appreciate your time this week as every week. And uh, that's it for us. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time this week. Bye. And remember, we love you. See you later. We love you and we love your applause. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at apologiesaccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted and on Instagram at Apologies.accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>